I was going to say it's really good to be back home. <laughs> you know, it is, though. Um, last Sunday, this is, this is booming, got to turn it down just a little bit. Last Sunday was just such a, a wonderful feeling to come back here, not because of the building, though I, I do love what you've done with the place. I, seriously, I really like chairs instead of those long pews. It's, and and it, it's, it just really looks nice. It's fresh and everything. But it wasn't the building. <clears throat> it's never really been about the building. I'll mention something else about this building later on. But it's, it's about this church family and the spirit that is here. Um, I called Rhonda and told her, or did I text her? I don't remember. We communicate many different ways. And I said, it was just so good to be back home. And she replied, you're not thinking about getting out of retirement. <laughs> she was a little nervous. I could, I could sense the fear there. And I said, no. What do you mean retirement? I'm not retired. Why does my daughter think I'm retired? I'm... I'm busy, Marilyn's busy, but we do keep a lot of margin in our life. Um, when we're back in Missouri, she runs Grandma's Breakfast Bar, and we have to get up early every morning so she can make a fresh batch of oatmeal because they've already devoured what she made the day before. And as soon as they get done with their calisthenics and they're running, because we can hear them out there running past the little house we live in, they run either one or one and a half or two miles, depending on their age group, every morning. <clears throat> and we know that it's going to be showers, and then the kids are going to be in the house wanting their oatmeal with snow on the mountains and sprinkles and Nutella and all the other things that make oatmeal so healthy. <laughs> no wonder they like Grandma's Breakfast Bar. But we do a lot of other things, too. Our, our travels... Um, uh, take us further sometimes than our body really wants to go. And some of you know that I've had a recent health thing with um, atrial fibrillation. Some of you have had that. I never wanted to be that guy. You know, I never wanted to be the guy that had to take pills or anything like that. And, uh, but here I am. I am that guy. But it's so good to be home. And, and this morning, as I went downstairs to pray, with the men, I'm just overwhelmed with that sense again of, and if Rhonda, you're listening to this, don't worry, being home. It, it, is, it was just so nice to be here with people that I love, and I totally understand the Apostle Paul. I get it. So I'd like for you to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. And we're going <clears> to <throat> not, for those of you who know me and know how I preach, remember back then, I could spend probably a year going through this, not verse by verse, word by word. I'm not going to do that this morning. I've got four Sundays. This has got four chapters. I can't even do one chapter in a Sunday. I, I, would, I would get bogged down because there's, it's so rich to me. So what I'm going to do is try to pull out... Um, some important things to me that have been important to me in my life over the years. I've been associated with this area ever since I can remember being associated with any area. 
<clears throat> I was probably two years old when we moved up to Washington State. I've lived then all my life in Everett, but also out in this area. I had friends when I was in college that were in Lake Stevens and, and Snohomish when I was in high school. And, and just uh, I, how many of you ever drove across the old Hewitt Avenue trestle that was made out of wood and was, yes, bi-directional? And no, no, um, no way to get off. Yeah, the Cavaliers Hill. You came to the bottom of it, but you had to stop because there's a cross street there. We didn't call it Cavaliers Hill. We called it Test Hill. You tested your engine and your clutch on the way up. Guess what you tested on the way down? Brakes and door latches. I can still remember my mother going down Test Hill. The door on our DeSoto popped open, yeah, this way, and her reaching over to grab me because I was on my way out on Test Hill. <laughs> I was probably three years old. We go way back to Machias Community Church. And actually, <clears throat> before, um, before I was ever in Village Missions, um, Marilyn and I had dairy farm. Many of you know that. Some of you don't. In our early 20s, we dairy farmed, sold the cows, went to Bible school, not to be a pastor, just wanted to know what I believed and why. And then after I graduated from Bible school, didn't know what to really do with ourselves. And so we moved to Camano Island, because why not, and bought some property out there, started going to Camano Chapel. And Camano Chapel and, and Machias were kind of like sister churches in a way, because um, Pastor Bill out there, Pastor Bill Whaling, was friends with Pastor Bill here. And um, so Bill Easterling and Bill Whalen, they had a, a couple's retreat at Warm Beach Conference Ground. And for some reason, even though we were a part of the young couples group at Camano Chapel, they put us with these wild people from Machias. Bob and Shirley and Chuck and Connie and, <clears throat> and some of the others that are, that are not here anymore that have gone to be with the Lord. And so we had that association. And then in, in 19, um, really that long ago, 1978, uh, Pastor Bill Easterling had me come out and preach in the church and, and do Sunday evening services in November and early December. So I'm doing Sunday evening services, and what, it, what I was doing creation versus evolution before it became the big deal. I was teaching courses at Camano Chapel in, guess what, how to study the Bible and Christian doctrine, the seed of what became Contenders Bible School and then the CDI. And um, so I came out here, because I, I knew where Machias was, and I came to the church, but I, I looked, it was kind of dark. And I saw the bow with this big ship looming over the church. And I thought, what are they building? An ark? Is this going to be like ark adventures before ark adventures in Kentucky? And I found out later that it was this building right here. I saw the point of that thing, and that was pretty interesting. But anyway, to get to, I don't want to digress too far to get back to my testimony, my story of why I'm here and how I came into Village Missions. 
As I went back and I told Pastor Bill, because I'd already been teaching classes there, doing Sunday evening services there. We'd gone down to Elk Plain, a village missions church down by south of Tacoma. And then I was here and I told Pastor Bill, I said, I think I should be in full-time ministry. Now, what I was saying is I think I should just quit my job selling real estate and do what I've been doing full-time here at Camino and going to other village missions churches. What Bill heard was, I need to get this guy into village missions. So he says, well, would you like to take a road trip? So Bill and Gail, Gail has passed away now, and he's married to Marilyn Whalen, but um, Bill and Gail took Marilyn and I down to Oregon, to Dallas, Oregon. And I'm, I'm thinking, great, I mean, road trip with the pastor. This is pretty cool. And we went down and we visited this dear, sweet old man um, in a double-wide mobile home on a walnut farm. And it was the office for Village Missions. I didn't even know what Village Missions was. I was going to a Village Missions church for a year and a half, teaching Bible classes, going and speaking in Village Missions churches. Didn't have any idea what it was. And, and I really wasn't even sure what this meeting was all about. When I say a dear, sweet old man, at that time, he was a lot younger than I am now. He just, at, I was really young, and he just seemed like, he's really a nice older man. And he was telling us stories about these little church, not churches, a little church in Oregon. And as he's talking away, then he turns to Bill, and he says, Bill, do you think he's ready? And I'm thinking, ready for what? And Bill said, why, he could take over for me tomorrow. And I'm saying, what is really happening here? Two weeks later, Reverend Duff called and asked if I would go be the pastor at Arago, Oregon. And it was, and I said, okay. Um, and he said, be there in two weeks. I said, okay, I'll do my best. And so we, you know, left. Told my broker I was quitting and just left our place in the hands of a friend to rent out for us. And off we went. And I... After I was there for a while, I realized, well, this is the place he was telling me about in that meeting, that little church down in Oregon. I didn't find out until just a few years ago that Arago, Oregon is the very first village missions field, the very first church served by village missions, and it was our very first church, and the, the pastor that was there, <clears throat> excuse me, the pastor that was there before us, Bob and Virginia Lisey. They um, were leaving Arago, and that's why we were being sent to Arago, and we crossed paths at a village missionary meeting out at Camano Island, and we got to meet them because they were coming to Machias. And you might say in God's economy, well, why didn't he just send us to Machias and save all this moving stuff? You know, that's a much shorter drive from Comedo Island to Machias. I'd already been here. We already knew the people because I needed more training. And they were going to suffer through that training down there. <laughs> I made so many mistakes. But I was, I was there six and a half years, you know. Robin and David, they kind of sort of grew up in their younger years there. And um, then we had two more kids because you got to raise replacements as a dairy farmer. And so we had Paul and Rhonda. And then... Virginia Lisey sends Marilyn a letter and she says, we are going to be leaving Machias and we're going to be district representatives on the East Coast and you should come to Machias. But already the people at Arago, some of them, liked us and it seemed like things were going really good there for us. I mean, the church grew 
you know, it really grew. And um, we were having a good time, but in our souls, we still felt like, when is Reverend Duff going to call us and tell us that it's time to go, that it's time to, for us to go somewhere else? And we were already committed to going to wherever God sent us. Um, that's why we went to Aragon. That's why I said, sure. And so, but I did something that nobody did in village missions in those days. I've done a lot of things that nobody else did, but this one nobody did. I called Reverend Duff up and I said, I think we should go to Machias. You know, you waited for him to call you and tell you where you were going to go. You didn't tell him where you were going to go. But I said, I think we should go to Machias. And he said, well, will you go to Dillon, Colorado? I've never heard of Dillon, Colorado. Now I have. It's a ski resort. Anyway, um, I said, sure, we'll go there. And he said, okay, you can go to Machias. And that's how we ended up here in 1985. And it literally was like kind of coming home. And then we'd been here for 31 years. And then Village Missions directed us to leave Machias, not to go anywhere else, but some people say, well, where's your field now? It's in the ether. It's in the, you know, on the interwebs because of Contenders Bible School becoming the CDI, and God has arranged all of this, and we know that. And, and yet, as we're away from here, it's like we're back in the Bible Belt. There is no lack of churches. They are literally, well, maybe not literally, but figuratively built on top of one another. I mean, if not right next door to one another. I mean, I'm talking out in the country. In the city, they are on top of one another. Opening a church there would be like opening a Starbucks in Seattle. It's just, there's so many of them. And you, you, there's so many flavors. You know, Baskin and Robbins only has 32 flavors, right? There is more flavors there. And we go to a nice church, but it's huge. I mean, it's, it's really big, big size-wise, congregation-wise, program-wise. But when we're not here, we go there, and they're supporting village missions now, so that's all cool. But it doesn't, still doesn't feel like home. We come back here, and it's just home. So I want to share with you Paul's heart here in Philippians. Because in all the letters he wrote, this one's different. You know, in, in all the other places that he's been and he's visited and, and he's writing this from prison. He's already spent two years in prison uh, in, uh, in uh, Judea. And then now he's on his way to Rome and he's in prison in Rome. And he's writing what's called the prison epistles, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians. And then he writes the, the little letter, personal letter to Philemon. But in all of the letters, especially like 1 Corinthians, they're corrective. There's, there's issues that he needs to discuss, that they need to deal with. This one is different. This one is just like, you know, he really loves these people. So... You have to understand how he ended up, not in, not in Roman prison, you have to understand how he ended up coming to Philippi. It was on his second missionary journey. They had gone up the coast and around, and they went further than they'd ever gone before because they'd been coming up around, and then they went back down in the first missionary journey. Now they've gone all the way up here to Troas, where they end up picking up Luke 
who is writing the book of Acts and who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he joins the party. And you can read this in Acts chapter 16, the language changes, where before he was writing as a near historian, they did this, they did this, they did this, they did this, and all of a sudden it is, and we went here, and we went there. And Luke is writing now from his personal journal as he joins Paul, and then they take a ship, and they go to Neapolis, and then from there, they, they walk to a city called Philippi, and, and it's in Acts chapter 16. And the church starts in Philippi with some Jews, particularly a, a Jewish lady uh, named Lydia, because the Jews do not have a synagogue there. This is a Roman colony, no synagogue. They have to meet out at the river, and they're meeting out at the river for a prayer meeting, and Paul presents the gospel. Lydia gets saved, and, and the church is meeting in her house. Then they get chucked into prison or into jail. Um, you read the story for yourself, Acts chapter 16. And this is where the miracle takes place. They're singing at midnight, you know, in jail. And all of a sudden, there's an earthquake, and the, their chains fall off. The stocks are opened. The doors open, and the jailer's about ready to kill himself because he thinks, oh, man, you know, my prisoners are escaping. He says, no, 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 wait, don't hurt yourself. We're all still here. And that's where the jailer gets saved, you know, where Paul, he says, well, what do I have to do to be saved? And he says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved, and your household. So Paul's, Paul's memory of Philippi encompasses not only the Lord starting a church, but this being in jail. And now here, the, it's kind of like the train came back to the station. He's in jail, so, so to speak in Rome, and he's writing this letter back to these people because they loved Paul. And they have sent a guy named Epaphroditus to bring stuff that he needed, whether it was money, clothes, food, or all of the above, I don't know, but they had brought what they could to support the Apostle Paul. They were separated by distance, but they were not separated in heart. I want to thank you, too, because I know that... that People here in the church have helped support Marilyn and I, too, through Village Missions. We, we had never sought support, didn't really want to, didn't need to before we started this CDI ministry. And uh, I, I get the, the love connection that takes place when you support a ministry and people report back to you. And, and so Epaphroditus has come to see if everything is going great with Paul, to bring him the stuff. And, and Timothy is there with him, too. I mean, Timothy's not in prison. He's, um, and and it, don't think of prison with bars because it's house arrest. But he is basically chained to a Roman guard. And um, so he's going to send Epaphroditus back with this letter. No doubt Timothy is doing the writing at Paul's direction. Paul's dictating it. And he's wanting to encourage them because he knows that, number one, they've got to be worried. They're hurting for him, but he's also longing for them. And not only that, they had heard that Epaphroditus was sick and almost died. And Paul couldn't work miracles any old time he wanted. And it was obvious that things had changed in in that regard. But the Lord spared Epaphroditus. He was better, Paul says. And Epaphroditus was homesick too. He says, okay, I'm sending you back. I want you to take this letter. And that's where we start here in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. 
Paul and Timothy. He doesn't say the Apostle Paul, by the grace of God, you know, he doesn't have to defend his apostleship here at all. Paul and Timothy, bondservants, doulos in the Greek, slaves, but not slaves that have been purchased, not slaves that have been taken in captivity, but slaves that have willfully pledge themselves to a master who will then take care of them and they will be his servants forever. It's a special word, doulos. And that's the word that he uses here, bond servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Did you know that you're a saint that the, the Roman Catholic Church, you know, they have their protocols for making somebody a saint. Pretty much, you know, you've got to have some miracles, and I think you have to die, too. There's some other stuff. But that's not how saints are made. Do you know how saints are made? Saints are made when a person acknowledges that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, and they receive the salvation that's in Jesus Christ and claim Him for their Lord. As Paul writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved, and you're a saint. You don't make yourself a saint. The church doesn't make you a saint. Jesus makes you a saint. The word is hagios, holy one. I look at you and I think, yeah, I know some of these people and they're no more saintly in that regard than I am. I look at myself and, and oh, even now I'm a sinner. I don't want to. I hate sin. But I find that yeah, sometimes I sin. And yet God calls me a saint. See, because God doesn't look at us as we were or as we are. He looks at us as what he's making us. He looks at the finished product always. And he loves you. I love the songs we sing. I, he will hold us fast. Now, all the songs we sang are right here in this first chapter of Philippians. To all the saints who are at Machias. As I read this, I, I don't read about Philippi. I've never been there. But I've been here. And I love you and I care for you. To all the saints who are in Christ Jesus in Philippi, in Machias, with the bishops and the deacons. And they're listed down the line. They are part of the body of the saints. But as God has ordained in the churches, there are those who have, and the word bishops here, you know, it's, it's just the way we translate it in the, this is the New King James that I'm reading, but it's the episkopos, but it literally means one who oversees, one who watches, one who guards. Now, that is a duty of a shepherd in a sense. Shepherds are really, they're guardians of the sheep, but they're also feeders, and they're also taker-carers of the sheep, you know, to make sure that the sheep are all right, you know, individually and stuff like that. But there are those, too, who are just overseeing the administration of the church. Really important. 
And then there are the diaconos or the, the deacons. And this can be either men or women. And it is literally means those who are servants, those who are ministers, those who take care of others within the body. So here we have the saints who are being overseen. And this is not a huge church. Because remember, this is a Roman colony. It's not a, it's not a big church. But they already have a structure. And I'm so thankful as I look at Machias Community Church, and I know there's been, you know, things have happened and stuff. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about this. There was built here a structure, and I'm so thankful for it. And I'm thankful that I get to come back and I get to be here I get to preach four Sundays, but I get to be here actually with you more than that. Um, and we're waiting for a new village missionary. Uh, this is not like, oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to save us. You know, <laughs> please don't. It's not the person. What's been built into this church, into this congregation, in the, those who oversee and care and those who minister is enough to carry you. Don't worry about it. And you have many people here who have been equipped, who have been trained, and who can correctly handle the word of truth. They are workmen who do not need to be ashamed. They can preach the word, and they also love the people. And that's what a village missionary does. Just giving somebody the title village missionary does nothing to make them a village missionary. If they don't already have that heart, just give them a title will not make them what they aren't. And there are people here that God has placed in the body that will preach the word and love the people. And I'm not saying that you're not going to get another village missionary. It's not to set you up for that or set you up for, yeah, you're going to have to wait two years. Some, some of these fields are going to be waiting a long time. We've got so many fields that are waiting for another missionary, another pastor. And they don't have what you have. They don't have this tremendous heritage that you have to build on. They don't have the leadership in place. Some of them do. Few, very few. And we really need to get a village missionary in there. But my prayer is that we'll have the right village missions couple and family sent here. But just remember that God has already done an incredible work here. It's easy for us to forget how good God is. To get our eyes on our situation. To get our eyes on our problem. To try to look out the windshield. It seems like it's always fogged over. And the more I try to rub it and unfog it, the more... My greasy, grubby little hand makes matters worse. But the rearview mirror is always crystal clear. I can look back in my life and see how God led me on a path, not just across a wooden trestle, but through my journey of being a young dairy farmer and going to pastor school in the dairy farm. Learning how to take care of something God gave me to take care of. And loving those cows and knowing those cows. 
and being among those cows, because all I could see when they came in the milk parlor was the starboard side of the cow. That's all I saw. I had to go out there and be with them to see the left side, to see if there was any injury. God taught me how to care for his people while I was a young dairy farmer. Then I got to go to Bible school, so I got to find out how to study the Bible so that I could teach a course called How to Study the Bible. But then I had to go to Arago so that I could learn how to actually be a pastor, not of cows, but of people. And I think of all the mistakes I made. Ugh. I wish, no, I don't want to do it over again, but I wish I could correct it. Don't you ever wish you had do-overs? Yeah, you'd mess it up, so don't go there. <laughs> we would, you know. I'm still learning. I'm still learning. I still, I still mess things up. But God had to take me through all of that so that I could come here, so that I could make mistakes here. Oh, boy, did I make mistakes here too. But so that eventually all of this could happen, so that we could have Contenders Bible School, so that we could end up having the CDI. This church has had more of an impact in village missions than any other church I can think of. Now, if any other village missionaries are watching this, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to brag, but it is just the way it is. Churches look to Machias Community Church as an example. Other pastors look to what happened here with our Bible school and, and, and the way we equip people as an example. And they want to do that too, and they are doing it. One of the village missionaries that's in Kansas, not, not too far from us, actually I think they're one of the closest ones, only a couple hour drive away, um, he called me while I was in the airport in northwest Arkansas getting ready to fly out here, and he wants to start the CDI not just for people in his church, yes, for people in his church, but mostly for all these other little communities around him in Kansas that have little churches that have pastors who never had a chance to go to Bible school. They're just guys that decided they'd be preachers, you know. And he is bringing these people together. And where did that come from? Do you realize that Contenders Bible School would never have happened without this church? When I was down there in Oregon, I kept talking to all the other village missionary pastors around there. Southwest Oregon is a target-rich environment for VM churches. There's a lot of them. We owned our own campground. There was a military academy right on the coast of Oregon that was for sale. I'm talking to these guys. I'm saying, let's buy that, and we can start a Bible school. And it's like crickets, you know. I kept raising the flag up the flagpole. Nobody would salute. <laughs> it was like, it had to happen here. I didn't know it. But it had to happen here. Because this church was already ascending church. Did you know that? Before contenders, before CDI, village missionaries were coming out of this church. And God said, this is where it's going to happen. So I'm so thankful for you. And that's why I get what he's saying. Verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. 
for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. So I, I get emails all the time when people register for the CDI. Well, there's another one right there. Um, but just this morning, I flagged this one. This is a student in Carrollton, Georgia. There's no VM churches there. Goes to Generation Church. And um, are you using the CDI to prepare for full-time ministry? Maybe. Because a lot of people would never put, oh, yes. In fact, a lot of people will put, no, even though they feel like, well, maybe. He put maybe. I heard from another student is how he found out. And he says, I want to learn how to study and teach the Bible to people who need to hear it and become a pastor wherever God sends me. I'm a 20-year-old man from Georgia who wants to serve the Lord in any way possible. I, I see stuff like this all the time, every day, all the time. But I thank God for you because without you, without Machias Community Church, this never would have happened. This would be another one of those guys who just dead-ended because he didn't know where to go and he didn't have $120,000 to go to seminary. And I want to remind you to look in the rearview mirror and see what God has done here and out of here and is still doing here. Because sometimes you're, how many of you feel like the windshield's a little foggy right now here? <laughs> Understatement. Okay, just remember, potluck is next. <laughs> we have to go through the meeting to get to it, but the potluck is coming and now to get you down to verse 6. How many of you have a life verse or a favorite promise verse? Any of you? I remember where I was sitting and what was happening when I got my very first verse that I was going to nab out of the Bible. I never thought of doing that before, but it was at Warren Beach Community Church. I'm a brand new Christian, still dairy farming, but going to church and being in a nice warm building, sleeping through most everything, but I was resting in the Lord. But at this one point in church, they testimony time and asking people, what is your favorite verse in the Bible? And Grace Edson, who's now in heaven, said Philippians 1.6 being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it on the day of Jesus Christ. Hey, I like that. I've been working really hard trying to be a Christian, and it hasn't been working out very good. But if I can trust God to do it, it seems like he's already done something in my life. He started it. It's pretty small. It was really small at that time. I didn't have much faith at all, except for the fact that as I thought about it, yeah, everything I prayed for, I got. God answered every single prayer. It was almost scary. I mean, now I found out I needed to pray and ask God to get me out of dairy farming. This wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. I nabbed on to this verse, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Has God begun a good work in you? Really? 
And some of you might say, oh, I don't know, has he? Well, you're here. You're here, or you're here on TV. That's a start right there. He began that. You didn't come up with that on your own. I didn't come up with anything on my path other than the sin. I didn't come up with any of those steps that God led me through. None of them. God did that. So I could breathe a sigh of relief. This was my first relief in being a Christian. Because up until that point, I mean the Christian church that we were in there, Warm Beach Community Church, was more of an Arminian-type church. You could lose your salvation. And in my case, they were sure I would. <laughs> but this gave me confidence. This gave me peace. That God began a good work in me. I could work out my salvation with fear and trembling now, knowing that it is God who works in me to both will and do of his good pleasure. I didn't know about Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13 at that point. We haven't got there yet. That's next week. Grab onto this verse. But it's a, it's a verse for you as a church. It's a verse for you as the family of God gathered together here at Machias. Did God begin a good work here? Did, did he even have a good work before you got here? Or did the good work just arrive when you did? <laughs> it didn't just arrive when I got here. Let me tell you, things have been happening in Machias long before, before I was born. Village Missions came here in 1958. But even before then, God was doing a work here. Do you think he'll complete it? Yes, he will. There are a lot of great churches around here now. There really are. Um, and that's cool. That's good. I, I, I never, while I was here, ever saw us in competition with any of them. I mean, the more the merrier. Bring it. You know, there's, I could see the spawning herds on the horizon of people that needed to know Christ. They're getting to be more and more and more. So if there's more churches, great. That's fine. But there's something special about this church and its connection with Village Missions that is different than all the rest of them. And God has a purpose for this church, like he has a purpose for all these other churches. And he is yet going to use Village Missions in this church, but maybe more importantly, using this church in village missions. Your work is not done. The work that God has laid out for you. What time am I supposed to quit? Whenever you want. That's two o'clock, but I want to do it before then because there's food downstairs. So, Okay, well, there, then there's, there's one other thing I wanted to share to you, uh, with you. As I was reading this, and I, and I got to verse 7, this is the one that I was thinking about as I was thinking about all the stuff that's going on here. We're back in Missouri. Our heart's breaking. We've been, for a long time, praying for you. And it was verse 7, just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my chains and in defense and the confirmation of the gospel you are all partakers with me of this grace. Now I'm not in chains. I've never well I did go to jail. I did go to Snohomish County. When they built the new Snohomish County Jail 
Bill was in charge of it, and so he took me, excuse me, he took me, and we went through and prayed in every room. But that's the only time I've been in jail. So I, I don't relate to the being in jail part with Paul, but I do relate to the part of being away and realizing, hey, these are people that have shared this grace with me, and they're, I'm constantly praying for them because they're in my heart. And it's, it's right for me to feel this way. I know back in the old days in Village Missions, when, when you left the field, you left it, you only had maybe a couple of weeks to get out of town, and you were never supposed to go back, and, and that was somebody else's deal now, and you move on to your new deal. Um, that never was my heart. In fact, when we left Arago, I was so distressed over the fact that they hadn't sent in a new village missionary. They had, uh, in fact, I won't even tell you what happened. Some of the stuff happened there. I went to Bill Reed. Bill and Eleanor, sweet Eleanor, up in Anacortes. And I says, boy, Arago is just the greatest place. You, you guys really want to go there. Um, I was trying to find, that wasn't my job either, right? But my, my heart was breaking for those people. And I would love to be able to, you know, send somebody here. And yet I know it's God's timing, right? So I got to wait. I got to wait. I got to just sit back and wait because... The more I rub the windshield, the more goofed up it gets. <laughs> but I just keep looking in the rearview mirror. God began a good thing here. He's going to take care of these people. Paul says, Paul didn't know at this point if he was going to get his head chopped off or not. That's what they did for Roman citizens. Isn't that a great thing? I mean, the other ways they killed you were really bad. So getting your head chopped off was a good deal. And, but he didn't know if that was going to happen or not. So that's why, he, as you read the rest of this chapter, and, and he says, I don't know whether I'm going to live or die now, but to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord immediately. So it's like head off, head on. In jail, in heaven, sitting here listening to me while you should be getting ready for the Seahawks game, right? Is that this morning? Or is it in the afternoon? Oh, good. <laughs> you know, we used to have these little radios so people that were hard of hearing could plug in and then tune into the transmitter. Do you all have that still? No, we used to have that. And we also had an organ here and a piano there. And Margie played the piano and Wava. Do you remember Wava playing the organ and the battle between the two? Because she was a honky-tonk. She was a church organist. Oh, boy. It was fun, actually. And, um, and then Wava would go down and sit down here and plug her little thing in so she could listen to the sermon. Well, she was really deaf, so she would turn it all the way up, Right? And we knew she was listening to the Mariner game. <laughs> so it's a good thing he got rid of those deals, right? Paul says, for me to live in Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And whatever time... I spend here with whatever limitations the Lord gives me, however he humbles me. He really humbled me with this AFib thing because my doctor says, 
When you change planes in Denver, you need to take a wheelchair. I want you to call United Airlines and tell them you need a wheelchair. Now, there's only so much humbling I can take. So as I got off the plane in Denver and I saw that sweet little lady with her wheelchair and a sign that had my name in it, I just was going to walk by and not say anything, but I said, I think I'm going to walk. And then I got to Seattle, and there was another one. But I walked there too. I mean, God is trying to humble me. um, But whatever time I have here and whatever hoops God has me jump through, I want it to be in service of Christ. Don't you want that in your life too? Really? I mean, that doesn't mean you have to go be a missionary somewhere. It doesn't mean that you have to do anything spectacular. It just means every day when you wake up, you submit yourself to Christ. You say, whatever you have for me today, I'm up for that. That's what I want. I want your will in my life. Or to die is gain. And that takes away the fear of dying. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for being our Savior. Thank you for being the author and the finisher of our faith. Not only the author and the finisher of the faith, but our personal faith, too, that you are working in us to both will and do of your good pleasure. You're the one who began this good work in us, and we can be confident that you are going to complete it, and it will be perfect because that's how you do things. So we thank you for it, and it's in your name that I pray. Amen.